Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zelmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today I will be chatting with Lisa Skinner about is it possible to live a meaningful life with Alzheimer's disease? This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Dr. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years of combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, dysautonomia, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I'm editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get a free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Amy Zellmer. I also invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, Other Survivors, Caregivers, and Loved Ones. Today's guest is Lisa Skinner. And Lisa is a behavioral specialist with expertise in Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. In her 30-plus year career working with family members and caregivers, Lisa has taught them how to successfully navigate the many challenges that accompany this heartbreaking disease. Lisa is both a certified dementia practitioner and is also a certified dementia care trainer through the Alzheimer's Association. She also holds a degree in human behavior. Her latest book, Truth, Lies, and Alzheimer's, It's Secret Faces continues Skinner's quest of working with dementia-related illnesses and teaching families and caregivers how to better understand the daunting challenges of brain disease. Welcome to the podcast, Elisa. So happy to have you here today. Thanks so much, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate you having me on as a guest to talk about this really heartbreaking um, disease that a lot of us live with. Yes. And Lisa, I would love to just begin by asking you, you know, how did you come to work in this realm? What what led you here? Kind of an interesting beginning that led me um, to follow the yellow brick road and kind of choose this as my um, lifelong career. So it really started with my grandmother about 50 years ago when uh, she started displaying some of the very common signs and symptoms and behaviors of Alzheimer's disease. And my grandma only lived 
a few miles from us. So I grew up with her. I had a great relationship. <clears throat> excuse me. I had a great relationship with her. <clears throat> so this one particular day, I had recently gotten my driver's license. And so I finally was able to drive over to her house on my own. And I went over there for a scheduled visit. We sat down in the living room and started to have just kind of what seemed to be a normal conversation. And then out of nowhere, she started telling me about these birds that lived in her mattress and came out at night and pecked at her face. And I think my jaw dropped at that moment. I never heard anything so far-fetched in my life, but I didn't say anything. And then she proceeded to tell me about the rats that were invading her home, and she pointed to her wall and said, yeah, I see them running back and forth all the time, and they're going to invade me. And then the final story she told me was about the men who were constantly trying to break into her house. They were stealing her things. They were breaking into her jewelry box, and they were going there to kill her. So um, I wasn't quite sure how to respond to this um, story I was hearing. <laughs> because right, and you're like all of 16. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. So the first thing I did was I said, okay, Grandma, show me. Let's go in the bedroom. So I led her into the bedroom. I threw the covers off her bed. I pushed the mattress up. And I said, Grandma, I really don't see where these birds are, are coming in and out of your mattress. Can you, can you show me so we can do something about it? And her response was brilliant. And I discovered this later on in my career, that people who do suffer from cognitive impairment and um, memory loss, they become masterful at mm. coming up with explanations for their stories. So what she said to me was, oh, Lisa, they're there. They're just very, very clever. <laughs> so I had, you know, my mother had never said anything to me about my grandmother having any of these symptoms. And to make a long story short, and this is really what got in my craw, Evidently, my grandmother was calling the police two, three, four, sometimes five or more times a day, reporting the mm. that she was sharing with me. And, of course, the first time the police believed her and sent out a patrolman and checked everything out yeah. and found absolutely no evidence of anything, which is not surprising. So anyway, she continued to make these calls. She lived by herself. And then one day the chief of police showed up at our door at my house where I lived with my mother, and she, he basically said to my mom, you really need to do something with your mother. She's a nut, and we don't have the resources or the time to continue to respond to these outlandish calls she is making mm. to the police department. And when he called her a nut, which I thought was so offensive because he yeah. didn't know what was going on with her. He just jumped to this judgment 
that she was a nut and that didn't even stop to consider that maybe she had something wow. going on that needed medical attention. And, you know, of course, this was 50 years ago, and that really stuck in my craw. And to have somebody who's supposed to be protecting us call her a nut and tell my mother that she needs to do something with her to get her off their back just really um, made a lasting impression on me. So kind of fast-forwarding when I was deciding what I wanted to do with my life, and I chose human behavior as my career path because I'd always been fascinated in human behavior. It's like, what makes people tick? Why do they do mm-hmm. the things they do? And I really wanted to discover more about that. So um, as it turns out, I just kind of, you know, the stars all lined up perfectly at some point in my life. I ended up becoming a community counselor in an assisted living and memory care facility, and then my career just kind of grew and blossomed from there. But it was a perfect match for me because, really, I never, ever, ever forgot that situation with my grandmother. And then, coincidentally, since my grandmother, I have had another seven family members Um, suffer from one of the brain diseases that causes dementia, and then on top of it, a dog developing dementia. And I didn't even know at the time dogs developed dementia, but I was recognizing the same symptoms and behaviors in this 15-year-old dog that I have been seeing in humans for decades. So I took him to the vet, and sure enough, he had what they call canine canine cognitive impairment, which is synonymous doggy dementia and um, so between my personal experiences my grandmother I've run support groups I've trained caregivers I've set up memory care units I mean I really um, spent a lot of time researching and becoming an expert in this area because first of all I know from just talking to the many, 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 many families and caregivers that I have over the last three decades, resources on how to manage the day-to-day challenges that come up unexpectedly are very difficult to find. They're just now starting to surface, but that's really only been in the last several years. And I really empathize with these family members, and somebody said to me, Um, you really need to share your knowledge with other people who are going through this. And to not do that, it would be very stuck to you because people are desperate to know how to deal with this disease. And that was my aha moment. So that's when I sat down and wrote the first book because she was right. I heard that many, many, many times before. And it's true at the time. So that's kind of what led me to... Um, to this juncture, and um, so I, I, I really want to make this journey for other people a little less stressful by providing them with guidance and helpful information that will take some of the uh, stress out of this situation because it can really be overwhelming, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, and so, you know, I just kind of want to take a moment to just mention as well, um, you know, folks who've had a traumatic brain injury are often told that they're at higher risk of developed dementia or some other form of cognitive decline. Um, and that can be, you know, very scary and daunting message to hear. And, you know, fortunately, um, we know that there are things we can do to increase our brain health, right? Like exercise, diet, um, you know, vitamin D and, and your, your uh, uh, fish oils. Um, all these are great things that we can do to work on keeping our brains healthy. Um, but then, you know, there's, there's things to watch for. Um, there's things that our families can do to help us um, that I'm hoping you'll kind of dive into here. Um, and, the, you know, there's resources out there. And, um, you know, as, as, your, as your book implies and the title of this podcast, you know, that, that it is possible to, lead, to live a meaningful life, even with um, some dementia or cognitive decline. Um, and it's, you know, it's not a death sentence, right? And it doesn't mean that it's going to happen. And that's, that's a little bit frustrating on my end of, of doctors even telling us this. I mean, I guess it's good to know that this could happen, but TBI survivors tend to go to worst case scenario and, oh, my God, I'm going to have dementia, you know, by the time I'm 50. Um, and <laughs> so um, I, I hope we can dispel a little bit of that um, and give some guidance on, um, you know, for especially for loved ones listening of like things to watch for and, and, um, you know, ways to help as, as those things may happen. Certainly. And it's a really important topic. I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, yes, traumatic brain injuries really are, um, the light is really starting to be shed on, how traumatic brain injuries can and do develop and progress into uh, dementia. And this is something that um, people weren't aware of for a very, very long time. And we're seeing mm -hmm. it surface a lot of, you know, football players and people who have been in car accidents and things like that. And, have since then developed dementia as a result of the traumatic brain injury. So this is, you know, certainly new science that's being studied and, and uh, paid attention to. But um, I do want to kind of dispel a couple myths because I think it's really important. And this is something that I've discovered in my 30-plus years of uh, professionally doing this um, Perfection. One of the staggering myths about dementia is really that it is exclusively a brain disorder that causes memory loss and confusion. And that's where a lot of people kind of get themselves into a um, misunderstanding about the disease because mm -hmm. it is so more complicated than that. I mean, there are just layers and layers and layers and layers of complicated um, pieces that go along with the disease. 
So it's much more than memory loss. It's much more than just confusion. And my advice to everybody and people I work with is the best thing to do if you get a diagnosis with a loved one or you're caring for somebody that has a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease or one of the over 100 brain diseases that cause dementia, which um, basically is referring to all the symptoms that occur as a result of the changing brain, um, learn as much as you can about it and be prepared to know what to look for, know what to be prepared for, know how to effectively respond to birds in the mattress coming out and pecking (laughs) at your face. There are correct responses to situations like that, and there are, you know, Um, responses that can really set somebody off and and escalate into what we call a catastrophic reaction. So in terms of educating people, there are many, many risk factors that go into determining whether what somebody's risk level is for Alzheimer's disease or one of the other brain diseases. And some of these risk factors are um, what we call modifiable. In other words, you can treat or change them. Mm -hmm. And some of these factors are non-modifiable. So uh, I'll go over a couple of those. The number one risk factor to develop in Alzheimer's disease is age. And, of course, that's non-modifiable. We can't do anything about our age. Right. Typically... On average, Alzheimer's disease starts to show up starting at about age 65 and older. And for every five years past the age of 65, your risk of developing it increases substantially. Um, The other non-modifiable risk factors are um, your gender. More females develop it than males. Um, Your ethnicity. We know that Latinos and African Americans are at a higher risk of developing Alzheimer's disease than their white counterparts. And um, so these we can't do anything about. So those are risk factors that if they apply to you, they just kind of get put in your bucket. Then mm-hmm. we have unmodifiable risk factors, and there are a slew of those. The number one modifiable risk factor, believe it or not, is cardiovascular disease. But the good news is that can be treated. So if you do have a heart condition, if you suffer from cardiovascular disease or diabetes or you have sleep apnea, um, these are all medical conditions that can be treated. So if you are being treated for them, then you'll negate that from being um, added into your onto your pile of risks that um, you could then develop uh, Alzheimer's disease. So what I'm saying, and you're probably hearing this, the more these risk factors that pertain to any one individual, the higher their risk is of developing Alzheimer's disease. Now, does that mean you're going to get it? No. Even if you carry the genetic gene, APOE4, 
you are at a higher risk of developing Alzheimer's disease, but that does not mean you're going to get it. So why am I telling you this? Because, Amy, as you said, there are a lot of lifestyle choices that people can make to help lower their risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. And there have been many, 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 many studies done over the past 30, 40 years that um, definitely point to support that claim. And those lifestyle choices, after you get your medical conditions under control, are what you eat, mm-hmm. whether or not you get um, adequate exercise, and um, also exercising and stimulating your brain. We know that all of these things do make a difference to lowering somebody's risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. It does not mean that you will get it. It does not mean that you won't get it. I have a family history of Alzheimer's disease. Um, I've had eight family members, five of them were blood relatives. So that's one risk factor that's not in my favor, but there are things I can do to uh, hopefully reduce that risk of developing it. It doesn't mean that I'm going to get it. It does uh, not discriminate. It just kind of picks and chooses who it's going to um, impact. Uh, But I'm wise to do things that will lower my risk. So eat a healthier um, diet, like a a Mediterranean-type-based diet. One of the number one um, worst foods that we know we can eat is ultra-processed foods. Mm -hmm. There's a correlation between eating ultra-processed foods and the development of dementia. Um, Fast foods, white, um, simple carbohydrates. We want to eat more uh, fish than red meat and complex carbohydrates. These are all things that have been substantiated. Uh, exercising your brain, keeping and active. you have control over them. You choose what you put in your mouth. So, like, and I, you know, we have I that choice. We have that control. We do, and I think that there's no question in my mind to support the adage that you are what you eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 you know, if if you're 23 years old or 33 years old or 45 years old, and you're listening to this, these are things you can start doing now, even though right. 65 down to you, like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to worry about that. <laughs> it comes faster um, than you have any idea. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. And these are all things that people, as you say, Amy, can make conscious choices about that could later on re- help reduce their risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. But is it a death sentence? No. And let me, can I spend a couple of minutes kind of elaborating on that? Yes. Okay. So another thing that people aren't aware of, and it is, without a doubt, one of the biggest fears will have, they come up, they come to me every day, and I read it 
in the news that one of people's biggest fears is getting Alzheimer's disease and developing dementia mm-hmm. and then being a lost soul. Now, let me just clarify that. First of all, it doesn't happen overnight. People can live with this disease for a very long time, and the symptoms in the beginning are so subtle that it's really hard to differentiate the signs of the symptoms that you might be seeing between just the normal aging forgetfulness um, right. That we all experience as we get older. Mild cognitive impairment that may develop into Alzheimer's disease or dementia and or stay just kind of a step above just normal aging forgetfulness. So most people are not even diagnosed with dementia until they're already well into their mid-stage of the disease. And there are many, many, many things that we, and these are the things that I work with, families and caregivers and teach, that we know can provide very meaningful lives. It's really until you get to the end stage of the disease and the average time a person um, takes to get to that end stage from the onset of the symptoms is anywhere between 8 and 15 years. My grandmother was a 20-year uh, one. She lived with dementia for 20 years after the birds pecked at her face. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's a slow, degenerative, progressive disease. So it takes a long, long time to get from A to Z. And between A and Z, people can live extraordinary lives with this disease. It's not, oh, I got the diagnosis, my life is over. It doesn't happen that way. And it doesn't happen that way with traumatic brain disease, traumatic brain injury either. It takes a long, long time. I mean, we're seeing um, football players today who are, you know, senior citizens that received their brain injury. They were in their 20s. And the symptoms are showing up now, right? So right. Um, these are things that really take enlightenment and education and knowing what we can do. And, it, and unfortunately, the onus is on us, the loved ones, the children of the um, people who live with Alzheimer's disease, mm-hmm. the caregivers, to just be educated on the things that we can provide people to offer them um, a higher quality of life, a stimulating life, um, that, but it takes knowledge and skills. So that's what I teach yeah. and, and uh, people understand. But the reason why I get really excited about um, the information that I possess to share with people is because I've seen the difference. I've seen miracles. I have seen people go from practically being in a vegetative state from just being isolated and um, just left to their own devices and not have any 
activities or stimulation to just being thriving human beings again just by being offered the right environment to thrive in. And, I mean, I can tell you just endless stories, and I've seen the difference that um, just knowing this and possessing this information and being able to provide it to your loved ones can can make in their lives. So really, mm-hmm. yes, it's, 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 there's no cure for this disease, as we know. There's no reversing most of them. Um, so the uh, prognosis is inevitable that, you know, it is a terminal disease, but you can live with it for decades before it really gets to the point where you need to depend on somebody 24 hours a day, seven days a week to care for you. That's a long time off. Some people it happens more quickly, but in between the the early stages, the middle stages, and then the very end stage where, you know, it's it's really um, debilitating, um, people can thrive with this disease. But a lot of people aren't aware of that. And I would say uh, more people, as soon as they hear that either they have Alzheimer's or one of the other brain diseases, or they hear that their mother or their father, their next thing is like, okay, well, their life is over. Well, let's just make the best of it. It doesn't have to be like that. Well, Lisa, we are just about out of time, and this has been such a important conversation. Um, I would like to end it out, though, by just asking, you know, like, so for someone listening who does have a brain injury and they're fearful you know, that it, they'll develop dementia, you know, what is your final thoughts for those listeners? A couple things, Amy. Um, be prepared because you're at risk for developing into dementia and basically experiencing a lot of the things that we've discussed here today. And start having the conversations with your family members, real conversations yeah. about um, okay, what are we going to do? Let's have a plan while you're still healthy enough to be able to participate in the decision-making process and let everybody know what your wishes are because with this, these diseases, most people tend to be reactive versus proactive. So mm-hmm. start having the conversations while you're still healthy and then have a plan that everybody understands that if I get to this point, this is, this is what I want. And everybody understands their role. They know how to pay for care. And um, you have a plan. So even, even if it doesn't happen yeah. as a result of your brain injury, it's better to be prepared than be scrambling around at the last minute after you um, are too far into the dementia to um, let your wants and needs be known to people yeah. who love care about you. Yeah, excellent advice. Lisa, thank you so very much for being here today and sharing this information. Um, I do have a link in the show notes, so wherever you are listening, you can find a link 
to Lisa's book on Amazon. Um, and you can connect with her as well on Facebook. Uh, again, Lisa, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Amy. I really hope that a lot of this information is helpful to your listeners. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Just another big thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. Again, schedule your free consultation online at integratedbraincenters.com. And you can find previous podcast episodes wherever you are listening, most streaming platforms such as iTunes or Spotify, or you can find them directly at facesoftbi.com. And be sure to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, and we look forward to seeing you in there. Thank you again. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey, and I will see you all in the next episode.